Hi, this is Jason. Welcome to this podcast of Bethesda Worship Center's Adult Bible Study. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale in his series on Living Above the Fray. Okay. Tonight we're going to go into the fourth session. The fourth session. I can't believe we've been talking about this for four weeks of Living Above the Fray. Those of you who have not been with us, we're talking about living above the fray. Uh, Most people live in drama. Most people, most church people, most people in general. But one of the things that spurned this was I find myself, because of my position, I have to encourage people. I have to tell people not to give up. I have to tell people to keep on. I have to tell people, keep your head up. I have to tell people, keep hoping, keep praying, keep believing. But there was a problem with that. Because as much as I tried, I felt just like the people I was trying to encourage. And God began to deal with me that while I'll always be human and I'll always have my faults and I'll always have my weaknesses, that there is a place that we can live above the drama. There's a place where we can live above the fray. The fray is... The drama around your life. Um, I'm a visual person and I think I shared this with you before, but I see myself now, having not mastered it, only trying to walk in it, I see myself in a little house on top of a hill and my front yard, my side yards, and my backyards has all kinds of activity going on. I call it the snow globe effect. There's so much crap, for lack of a better term, going on. There's so many things that could Grab your attention, grab your energy that can hold you and actually paralyze you spiritually because it requires so much of your attention. And it's as if God told me, just come up here in the house and let all the fray happen. Let everything that's going to bust loose, bust loose. We live in the end time. We live in a, in a day where there's going to be drama everywhere you look. And it's asking and it's pleading for your attention. And the bad news is most of us give it all the attention that it wants. And the enemy knows that if I can keep you tied up, I can keep you running on empty. And if you run on empty, you're not going to minister to anybody. So not only are you going to suffer, but everyone that's looking to you is going to suffer. And that's why we developed this series called Living Above the Fray. And I don't have time to go over the last three weeks, but let me just give a quick review of last week and what we talked about. If you've ever been sucked into a drama, into a movie, one of your favorite dramatic roles, uh, uh, I know some of you ladies love uh, date night movies, you love tear jerkers, you love chick flicks, and you drag us guys there sometimes, and and sometimes at the end of the movie you guys are crying because the leading lady had a heartbreak, and you're, you're all consumed, and that's what's great about a movie is it'll suck you in, and the purpose of the arts is to move you, to move you, and make you have a feeling. And the problem is, at the end of the movie, we can shut the TV off, or we can leave the theater, but when that movie is our lives, we go to bed with it, we wake up with it, we take showers with it, we, we raise our kids with it, we go to work with it, and it travels with us everywhere. And that's what stinks about living in the fray. And most people do. We can't leave the theater because we're a part of the drama. And we've been sucked in and we've been trained and we're subconsciously a character in our own movie. And 
We wish the writers would change things, but yet we just constantly live in a reactive mode. And if this happens, I'm going to freak out here. And if this happens, I'm going to freak out here. And I've got to answer to everything that happens in my life. We talked about last week, you'll be affected by what happens in your life. We're not going to sit up here and teach you that you can live life unscathed. We're not going to sit up here and teach you that you can live above and never have any effects because what happens in your life most definitely will affect you. But it should never control your pursuit of your purpose. This is where the enemy defeats us. He doesn't have to make you denounce Jesus. He doesn't have to make you be a Satan worshiper. But if He can get you looking at your unhappiness, you don't have any joy, you don't have any peace to share. You're not going to be an evangelist, that's for sure. You're not going to be a witness, that's for sure. Last week we looked at the process of peace found in Philippians 4 and 6, and I'm just trying to review this really quickly. But Philippians 4 and 6 told us four things have got to happen in your life. Number one, don't worry about one thing. Man, that's a tall order. Number two, pray about it. Number three, God's peace will guard your heart. And number four, think about the good things in your life. That's what Philippians 4, verse 6 through 8 tells you to do. This to me is a recipe for peace. And I don't know of anybody that don't want more peace in their life. So I would recommend you go back and read that and really digest that and pray. We also talked about unhappiness is probably one of the biggest blockers in your life. And the emotion of unhappiness is formulated. If you feel unhappy all the time, I want you to know how you come to that. We're going to kind of get into that tonight. Unhappiness is formulated when you look at everything in your life that is happening or everything in your life that is not happening. And when you deduct that information, you run into a big emotion called unhappiness, unfulfillment, uncontentment. And most people tolerate their lives. Which is so against what Jesus came to do. And that's why we got to live above the fray. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Most people aren't even okay with their life, let alone happy with it. Let alone. So we went from there. We, we touched on the fruit of the Spirit. I had the, the, the board out here and we listed all the fruit of the Spirit, which in case you don't know it, found in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And on the other side of the board, we had the stuff that we really live with. This side is what we're supposed to be producing as children of God. This side is really where we live. And and I'm tired of it. I got tired of living without producing fruit. And the fruit that I was producing was minuscule. And not a whole lot of people were going to be blessed by it. Um, Part of that is we're not in the will of God. Do you remember when the children... Uh, do you remember when Moses sent the spies into the promised land? They came back with great big fruit. Remember that? I'm going to tell you that when you begin to walk where you're called to, your fruit will produce in abundance. The problem is we're trying to produce fruit in a dry place. And we can do it, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of just determination. Um... When you begin to walk in the fulfillment of your purpose. And you're never going to get there when you're unhappy. Sorry. You're never going to be fulfilled and produce a lot of fruit. You're never going to be um, 
really feeling Jesus when you're broke down all the time. We talked about running on empty. Um, the great thing about joy is you can't produce it. It's the Spirit of God. It's, it's produced by the Spirit. The problem is what we're introducing the world to is our manufactured concept of joy. That's why when they look at you, one day you're cool, one day you're a mess. And we're like, and I don't, I don't blame them for not coming and asking you. I wouldn't. I mean, that takes some real gut-checking truth. Would anybody want what I got? Because I am a stinking mess. And my day is determined by what's happening to me. I don't want what you got. Because you ain't no different than a drug dealer. You're no different than a hooker. You're no different than someone that's strung out. You are no different. But the Bible says that we're supposed to be a peculiar people. We're supposed to be a salt of the earth, and it sure doesn't look like it to me. And, and we, we theorize it. And we, we love to talk about the theories. We love to talk about what we should do. We love to talk about the promises. But the proof is in the pudding, guys. We can, we can make this as churchy as you want, or we can change the city. But we're not going to do it by preaching a better sermon. We're not going to do it by writing another book. We're going to do it by living a real life that's producing the fruit of the Spirit. So we've got to learn to live above the fray. All right, here we go to week four. I brought out here as a prop, this is a ladder. All of you have talked about it since you walked in. That's cool. That's what I wanted. When I see a ladder, I'm, I'm, my first thought is somebody's working up in here. Somebody's working up in here. Every time I see a ladder on somebody's property, I'm like, man, somebody's sweating. Somebody's doing something they probably don't want to do. And all the homeowners said, amen, right? I, I hate, I hate, when I, when I have to get out a ladder, it means I'm doing something that's not fun. So when I see a ladder, I think work. And, and so tonight we're going to do some work. The problem is, the bad news is, <laughs> Um, we're going to do some work on a project, but the project is you. The project is me. We're not going to work on our ceilings. We're not going to clean our gutters. The project is us tonight. So that's why I brought this ladder out. And if Rob were here, he could do it much more eloquently. But um, how many of you are familiar with computers, at least a little bit? Computer has a thing called a CPU. A CPU, most of you... That's the real computer. That's the tower. And the CPU, what it stands for, um, to be specific, we use it so generically, but it is a central processing unit. That's what the CPU is. It's not the keyboard. It's not that little monitor that you look at. It's the CPU. It's the central processor. Um, In essence, it's the brains of the computer. If your CPU goes out, it doesn't matter how great your mouse, how great your keyboard, how great your monitor resolution is. It makes no difference if the CPU goes down, you have no computer. Um, I want you to know that you have a computer in you. Um, Let me tell you what a CPU does. It interprets and executes instructions and data that's contained in its software program. This is just how your mind works. Your mind works. It interprets and executes, and it gets instructions and data from, here we go, your thoughts. 
It can only act out what you're thinking. Your mind can only execute the information that it's given. And I have so many mind verses I'd like to drop on you right here. But we've done series on that. Isn't it frustrating? Um, I, know, I know it is to me that my interpretation of life is going to be dependent upon my thought process. What is it that you think about? I can tell you from experience, I have a hyperactive mind. There's never a time I'm not thinking of 20,000 things, if that's possible, I don't know. I've heard it range that an average person has between 10,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they can itemize that, but that's what the professionals say. If that's so, I'm probably closer to 100,000 thoughts a day. I've learned a few things along the way. I get tired of me. You ever get tired of thinking? You ever wish you could chop your head off and say, quit thinking for just a stinking minute and chill? Well, your CPU is running like crazy. I don't care how many processors, they're buzzing. They're going, they're going. Your mind is constantly rocking and rolling. And it's setting up all the what-if scenarios. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if... And I get so sick of thinking. Now, maybe you, you're an easy, laid-back person like Mario. I don't know. <laughs> I was talking to Mario about this series. He's like, this is cool. He said, I don't really struggle with that as much, but it helps me to understand. I said, well, you are very rare. <laughs> because most people have crazy mind battles. I, I wish that I could be more like that. Unfortunately, I'm wired a little different, I guess. But I want to I unveil something, begin to unpack something, and I want to show you a process for everything in your life. And I'm going to introduce you to some principles tonight. Principles are neutral in nature. Um, it could be the way you're tempted. It could be the way you're blessed. It could be the way you act. It could be the way you react. This process will go for anything that comes into your life. So let's just begin to break it down. The first thing that happens, and this is the reason I got it on the ladder. This is the first thing that happens to you on anything in life. And it's called perception. Perception is huge in your life. It's the first thing that gets every process started. Simply put, please don't let any big words put you to sleep tonight. I know sometimes when you begin to teach principles and theories, it can get dry and stale. I hope you stay with me, because we'll make it real here in a minute. But to have perception is an introduction of information. In other words, it's your first awareness of something. You remember when you answered that phone call, and they told you something you had no idea, and it knocked you off your rocker. You're in the... This is the first... The first step of your problem. This is the first step of your temptation. This is the first thing. Information's brought to you, and it's called perception. Uh, perception's important. You need to understand this takes place in our mentality, in our minds. This is a mind thing. Information, any problem with information is always a mind thing. The introduction of it is, at least. We're, we're going to get further. Um, do you remember in let me let me read to you Luke chapter eight verse forty six and if you don't if you don't want to go there you don't have to we got several Bible verses that I want to share tonight but Luke chapter eight verse forty six and this is Jesus speaking and Jesus said somebody touched me I perceived power going out of me I perceived power going out of the word perceived there 
throughout the, the whole Bible, the word perceived has a lot of variations. In this specific one, is Jesus saying, I know, I know healing virtue left me. Because when he asks his disciples, he's like, they're like, what do you mean? We've been, we're going from one place to another. There's thousands of people around you. How are you going to ask who touched me? And he's like, no, I perceived something. This wasn't a, a, a rubbing of the elbow going through a big crowd. I perceive something happened. There is a knowing. This is what happens. A perception is the first time something's introduced to you. When your kid gets in trouble, when you first get the doctor's report, when you first hear about that mate thinking about divorce, perception is information that hits you. It's your initial awareness. The second thing that happens is... You'll get more familiar with these as we go. After you get the information, after somebody tells you what's up, then this happens. It's called a reaction. (laughs) I know, this is 101. Stay with me, because I'm going somewhere. This happens on an emotional level. It is an emotional response to the information that was given you. Your response, your reaction, is in the emotional realm. So here's in our mind, the information is given. Then we have an emotional reaction. Um, I gave someone Matthew 26, verses 34 and 35. And that's Marcy? Okay. Read it loud and proud. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not, will not deny you. Okay. What I wanted to do is take us into a story. We know the story of Peter denying Jesus, right? Um, Jesus gives him information. Peter, this is what's going to happen, boy. He hears it. He perceives it. He has an emotional reaction to what Jesus is saying, doesn't he? I mean, who, who among us wouldn't? If I go to you and say, you're going to mess up big time today, Tammy, you're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going to mess up. Can you imagine Jesus going to Peter and say, look, I know you're one of my closest friends, but you're going to deny me. He gets the information, he perceives it, he has an immediate emotional reaction to it. Um, there's another step that happens. After you react to something... And I know this is very simple, guys. But you're going to start seeing where you all get in trouble, where I get in trouble. After you react to something, then there's a stupid little thing called behavior that kicks in. Behavior is very important. This is our specialty when it comes to our kids. You better behave, right? Um, What this is, is an acting out of your emotional response to the information given. I know this is very clinical, I apologize. Behavior generally happens in a physical sense. Generally, it's something that you do or say. There are variations of that, but generally, your behavior is something said or something done. Um, It's in your conduct and in your words. And then Matthew 26, let's let's, uh, jump down to verse 73 and 74. And after a while came unto him that stood by it, and said unto him, Surely thou art one of them, 
for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. We're still with Peter here. Jesus done told him, you're going to deny me. This is where he does it. This is where behavior kicks in. Behavior is normally physically. It normally is something you carry out with your words or your conduct. Um, He began to swear and curse. Now, I don't know if you know the difference between it because... If you all just, that's just plain cussing, that's, you know, I just loop it all together. But actually swearing and cussing are two different things. One is saying, I take a vow. The other one is to really attack the character of. So I want you to understand the severity that Peter is talking about Jesus. This one that said, I will never, even to the death, there's no way. I'm not only going to swear an oath, I don't know you, I'm going to curse you as well. This is a big deal, and this is behavior, and it happens to, to everyone. Hopefully not this severe. Let's go on to the fourth one. There's a fourth step, and I think when we get through these steps, you're going to start seeing some stuff come together. Perception, reaction, behavior, and then this very big one is called sowing and reaping. Have you noticed the further down the ladder we get, the more recognizable these things are to you? <laughs> okay. Sowing and reaping is the harvest of your behavior. I know this is clinical. I want you to see this, though, as a ladder in your life. Your sowing and reaping is going to be a harvest of your behavior. Have you ever done something... And you lashed out and you freaked out and you lost it. And you wish you could go back and not do it, but you did it. And there you stand in your stinking mess. And you're like, man, why didn't I stop up here? Why didn't I stop up here? Why didn't? But here I am in my mess. I done let her have it. I done unleashed both barrels on that dude. And now I got a mess on my hands. And this is sowing and reaping. Um, did I pass out Galatians 6, verse 7? I, I don't think I did. Let me tell you, you guys know what this is. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. And it goes on and it talks about flesh sowing to the flesh, and spirit sowing to the spirit. That passage is really talking about your carnality. Let me tell you something. If you're having premarital sex... And you get saved. You still have a chance of having sexually transmitted diseases. And you still have a chance of making a baby. Jesus will save your spirit. But what you have sown in the flesh, you may and probably will on some level reap in that flesh. I wish Jesus could set everything right. He can in your spirit. But you still got junk to deal with. I wish he would take it all. Instead of just doing the spiritual realm, dude, I live on the earth realm. This is where my mess is, right? We wish he could fix that, but what you sow, you're going to reap. And and I know that's some, that's some really great, hard preaching. And a lot of people like to put a lot of money on that, and, and that does apply to money. But he's really talking about deeds of the flesh very much so in that passage. 
And then Matthew 26, verse 75. We continue on with Peter. With Peter, verse 75. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here's Peter in his mess. Can you, you guys know that reckoning moment when you went too far? And you're like, oh, God, I said I wasn't going to do that this time. I said I wasn't going to let it get that way this time. This time, I look, you guys know how many times I've taught you, you better learn the patterns in your life because your patterns will always show your weaknesses. Many of us know our patterns, but we don't care. We enjoy them. (laughs) If you don't locate your patterns, (laughs) you're going to be in trouble. Um, Someone, did I give someone James chapter 1? James chapter 1, okay. uh, Verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is carried away by enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay. I wanted to bring that verse out to you because I want you to see this same principle outlay works in your temptation life. Um, when every man is uh, tempted... That means an endeavor to test or to try someone's faith. Um, this is uh, your perception. This is where the temptation is introduced. you got opportunity to sin right here. And I'm going to give you some information on how you can cheat, steal, lie, whatever, any other immoral act. I'm going to give this information. I'm going to avail it to you so you can perceive it. And then the Bible says that when sin is conceived, you're going to have a reaction. If you think about something long enough, it'll begin to grow. You're going to have a reaction to what you've been thinking about. And then once it's conceived in your mind, we said this was the emotional set, you're going to begin to act out. And this talks about when sin is finished, it becomes a behavior. Just what Ray read there. When it is finished, it becomes a behavior. And then, sowing and reaping, it produces death. Now sometimes we know that death is literal. Sometimes it is figurative. But death always indicates separation. However you want to look at a spiritual death, a carnal death, it produces bad stuff. But do you see, we can use this for temptation. We can use this for a problem. You know what? We can use this same principle for blessings that come into your life. God gives you something. You react to what God said to you. You start acting it out. Before you know it, you're walking in your blessing. This is a principle for everything that happens in your life. But here's, it's not just this, guys. There's these things that... Between each phase, just because you tell me something don't mean I'm going to freak out. But there's these things in our life between each phase called a trigger. And these triggers are worth talking about. Trigger is a thing, a mindset, or an emotion that pushes you and propels you to the next step in the process. Between every one of these, you have a trigger. 
Every one of them. When you tell me something, and my let, let me give you an example of a trigger. Let's say my trigger is insecurity. I heard you talked about me. My insecurity won't let it stay at information stage. It triggers me to a reactionary stage. And then when I when it gets to my emotional stage, my insecurity, my stupid trigger again, takes me to the next step. It makes me act out. So what do I do? I start slamming you because you said something about me. And then, ultimately, because I start running my mouth, I'm going to have to sow and reap. These triggers, whatever it is between these phases, these triggers will show you your weaknesses. The problem is you've got to get real. What is it that makes me go from a thought to stupid? What is it? And it's going to take... Remember the the prayer we ask you to pray in Psalms 139? Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any weakness in me. Those weaknesses are your triggers. It's the things that propel you downward, deeper and deeper into your problem. More and more into your fray. More and more into your drama. Just because something is presented to you doesn't mean you've got to roll up your sleeves and get in that mess. Remember cartoons? When they would start fighting and it just starts looking like a little little tornado and there's fists and there's dirt and everything happening. That's what happens when you decide to jump into the drama of your own life. You could have noticed it. It could have affected you, but no. I got a trigger. The thing about triggers is they're very historical to you. If you look back over your life, you'll see these triggers all the way through your life. Because your weakness has a tendency to grow. And it loves to hide. That's why you have to ask God to help you see things. Because you've been so good at concealing your weaknesses. You've been so good at justifying your weaknesses that you don't even see them anymore. And when God opens your eyes, it's an awakening moment. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. So triggers, what are triggers? They're your tendencies. They're whatever you're predisposed to. They're your inclinations. Your trigger might be temper. Your trigger uh, might be rejection. I don't know. You can be any kind of jacked up, and that can be your trigger. You might have multiple triggers. That's the people that are really jacked up. People that are insecure. People that live in fear. People that... Anything sets you off. It's not okay. Quit being okay with being messed up. I'm, I'm... You've got to get tired of it, or you're going to keep living in your drama. You'll never live above the fray if you're okay with the way you are. I'm going to tell you now, if you leave here and you're the same little, little person that walked in these doors, you're going to have the same crap tomorrow. But if you're fed up of the way you react to life, God can begin to do some stuff with you. Listen, by the way, I don't, I'm not going to tiptoe around your little trigger. Oh, don't say that to them. You know how they go off. I, I don't care. I, I don't care. I'm not tiptoeing around your trigger. And the people in your house should not, you big bully. You little insecure thing. Don't tell mom that. You know how she is. How are you? Get real for a minute. Don't tell her that. You know how she freaks out. So that means you have a problem. 
Quit blaming people for pulling your trigger and start looking at what is your trigger. So here's the problem. We have, now we're here. Let's say, let's say you have a, you're a drama mama. You, you are jacked up. You got so much drama in your life that you're addicted to it. That if there, nothing happens, you create something. I, I know people like that. Hey, that person's been pretty happy for a while. Something bad's been there to happen. Something's wrong. Because when they realize they're happy, they're going to screw it up. I'm just keeping it real with you. People get hooked on pain. People get hooked on pain. And I can tell you family members' names that if there is no drama, they'll create drama. And you love to self-sabotage yourself. Why? Because those triggers is your ego. Those triggers are your carnality trying to rise up. That's why you have to crucify the flesh. Because your flesh wants to screw you up. Excuse my language today. I'm kind of fired up about it. If that, if that language offends you, don't leave the church. Because you're going to be in a world of hurt. Do you understand that carnality, carnality wants to be your world? Carnality wants to possess you. Carnality is going to keep you the old you. And it's going to flip its nose in the face of the verse that says, Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Because carnality is going to see to it that nothing in your life becomes new. It's going to keep you frozen in your drama. So you better take it serious. This better not be theory teaching. Because if that's the case, we can use big words and we all feel good and lead the same way. But I want to get real. So here we are, we're at the bottom of this ladder... We're in our mess. We done said what we shouldn't have done. We done went where we shouldn't have went. We thought what we shouldn't have thought. So now we start back up the ladder because we want to get things right with God. We want to start producing the fruit of the Spirit, right? So this first step, we're in our mess, sowing and reaping. The favorite place for a lot of people is they constantly live in what I call damage control. Because you blew it, now you got to go pick up the pieces. You blew your reputation as a Christian because you are okay with you. And now you go to damage control. First place you got to go damage control is confess to man and God. Look, I messed up. I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. And if you ain't man or woman enough to say, I blew it, I shouldn't have done that, you need to check yourself. And when you mess up, I don't care if we're talking attitudes. I don't care if we're talking behaviors. I don't care if we're talking reaction. You need to go to God and say, God, I repent. I turn from that. Give me strength not to go that way again. I do believe that there is room for confession in the life of the Christian. Don't ever get so grace corrected that you don't confess. Because when you have a broken, contrite heart... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you've been in a place where you're shattered and broken and you need the help of God, you can say, God, I messed up. Because you're never going to walk out of a place till you realize most of the messes in our life is self-created. Anyway, so we're in damage control mode. Now, before I get to going to my behavior and why I acted so stupid... 
what I want I got to look at my trigger. Why? Why is it that I'm in this mess? Then I got to go look at my behavior. Why do I keep doing that? Let me tell you, especially if it's a reoccurring theme in your life, you better look at it hard. And what that means is I've got to look at my behavior. We're very familiar with the bottom two rungs because we deal with our kids. Our kids don't study and they get an F. Now you got to deal with an F. So you got to go back and get an A to try to compensate for that F and you'll average out to a C. That's damage control, right. That's not enough. If that kid has a high school career in damage control, he could be excelling, but he's always trying to make up for lost ground. Figure out what the trigger is. Figure out what the trigger is. Then we go to behavior. Um, Why do you act that way? And then find out your trigger. What is it that sent me from feeling something to doing something? What is this trigger? If you can figure out this trigger right here, victory's coming to your house. There's something that happens between what I feel and what I do, and it's a trigger, and that trigger is your weakness. And like I said, there may be more than one. That's why we got to say, search my heart, God, because the Bible says sometimes the heart is so wicked it, it deceives ourselves. It wants to keep you in carnal land. Um, and then we come back up, and we're trying to get back up. We're trying to get back on top of things. And then we got to ask ourselves, what am I doing with the information that's given to me? What's wrong with my perception? Let me tell you what's wrong with most people's perception. And, and please don't think I'm preaching at you. I'm preaching at us. Okay. <laughs> it really stinks when I see this in my mind and I still do stupid. But I'm trying to help you, somebody here. Um, there's a problem with your perception. If every time bad news or not beautiful news is given to you, you start spiraling down this ladder, I'm going to tell you something about your perception. You're looking through a lens of pain. Why is it that if you tell Ken, Ken, yada, 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 he's cool. You tell me the exact same thing, and I lose it, and I'm a mess for a week. Is it that we're completely different. Now we're both grown men. But I'm receiving the information you're giving me. My perception goes through my experience glasses. It will trigger something on the inside of me that said, the last time I got this news, this was the end result. So therefore, this is no different. The last time somebody told me bad news about this, it ended up in the trash can. And this is no different. As I perceive, I react. I don't know, maybe I'm being too clinical for y'all. Did I give someone Second Samuel chapter 11? Um, I think I just told you verse 2 on that. Can you read through to verse 5? Yes. Alright, Second Samuel chapter 2. And it came to pass at eventide that David rose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent a and inquired after the woman. And one said, It's not that the... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> the thief... Bathsheba. Bathsheba. That's right. I'm sorry. It's all right. The daughter of Eli. 
the wife of Uriah, the Hittle. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he laid with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness. And she returned upon her house, unto her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am a child. Okay, you guys know that story. Dave is taking a nap. He gets up. I need some fresh air after my nap. Sees this little hottie across the way taking a bath. I want you to see this scenario on this ladder. He sees her. He perceives her. He sees her. He enters into his eye gates. There's information given him, right? This is his perception. The Bible says that she was beautiful to look upon. It talks about his perception. Now, if David had seen her and stopped at this rung of the ladder, it probably wouldn't even be recorded, would it? Remember, pastor, years ago, he used to preach a sermon called Bounce Your Eyes. Guys, if you go to the mall, you're going to have an opportunity to see all kinds of stupid. And you learn to bounce your eyes. But Dave, old Dave, he didn't want to bounce his eyes. He liked what he saw. And something on the inside of him triggered a reaction. Now, all of us are grown people. You know what that reaction is. He decided that I'm going to make an emotional charge, desire, and I'm going to send my boys over there. I'm going to say, uh, bring her to me. He didn't stop there. She came to his house. The Bible says, uh, those of you who like romance novels, Right here, he liked what he saw, he reacted to it, and he did something. He actually, they actually had sex. After he knew she was married, he still said, you know what, I'm having such a reaction to this woman that I'm going through with it. But then the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, and she conceived... So he went from seeing something that he could have stopped right here. But now, because trigger, 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 he's got somebody pregnant, and that's not enough. So now I've got to go to damage control. What can I do? I've got an unborn baby, and I've got an unknowing husband. We know the rest of the story. Both of them were casualties of David's perception, reaction, behavior, and sowing. I wanted to put some reality instead of just this clinical ladder here and, and show you that the problem is, the Bible says we can have the mind of Christ, but nobody's interested in getting it renewed. You think you can think like you're thinking and get different results. You cannot. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing, expecting different results. How you are is not okay. It's time to grow. And I don't say that condemning. I'm saying that challengingly to you because I say it to myself as well. God, I am so messed up in my thinking sometimes. God, arrest me at the moment before I start pulling my triggers. 
before my insecurity kicks in, before my fears kick in, before my rejection kicks in. God, let me stop it right there. Because you're going to find out your first step is stop getting in your messes. But the further up the ladder you go, the less drama you'll have in your life. If you can start stopping it when you see it, if you can take your victim glasses off for a while, and next time someone brings information to you, you could stop the process here and you don't have to reap it. Quit living in damage control and work your way back up and say, what's wrong with me? Why do I see things that way? Why do I behave that way? Why do I react? Why do I feel? You don't just wake up one day and commit adultery. It's a process. David could have stopped it at any point. But the end result was, he's got a, he, once, he was, once he was aware, he's going to have a mad husband and a girlfriend on the side without a proper daddy. And now he's in a mess. If he would have stopped it here, Guys, quit cleaning up our messes and let's start growing in God. Because once we start living up here, where when things hit us, we let them bounce, we'll start producing the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what people notice. They don't notice a whole lot about you if you're doing the same damage control that the heathen's doing. If you don't like how you act, start climbing back up this ladder. The bad thing is, you're not going to do it until you get stinking real with yourself and stop excusing your reactions and your messes. Quit it. I'm telling you now, if I have any authority as an under-shepherd, under-pastor, I'm sure his heart would say the same thing. Examine yourself. Submit yourself. Put yourself on the altar. Let your ego die. Because it is keeping you in prison. There's some things that happen in life you're just not going to like. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Some things are going to hit you. They're going to affect you. But you decide how far you take what happens to your life. There are things in my life that aren't rewarding. There's things in my life that don't make me smile. There's things in my life that don't make me laugh. There are things that, even though I'm praying, they're not getting better. They seem like they're getting worse. There's things in my life that... There's breakthroughs I've been praying for. I thought I would have broken through by now. And I still haven't seen it. But the more inside you go, the more you look, the more you search. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God will search you. The Spirit of God will search you like a candle. Even those dark places that you don't want nobody to know about. We've talked about this before. He'll go in there. You gotta understand that your life is not what happens to you. Your life is not what happens to you. Get that out of your mindset. Well, my life has this, 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 and this happens to me, this happens to me. I was raised this way, and I only got this much, and I only had this much, and so and so treats me this way. That's not your life. That's what's happening to you. Your life is not what's happening to you. Your life is defined by how you react to what happens to you. Quit blaming the other players in this game. It stinks because that's going to require you to tear up your victim card. 
Quit blaming scenarios. Quit blaming people. Quit blaming income. Quit blaming your boss. Quit blaming your spouse and your kids because you are constantly, you have no ability to produce peace and joy and temperance. Quit blaming people. Your life is not what happens. Your life is, can be defined by how you react to what happens to you. Why is it there are certain people that are so grounded? Why is it that there are grandmas and grandpas that have been in the faith for a hundred years and nothing seems to move them? Is it that they're superhuman? No. Is that they said, man, I'm not going to freak out when somebody tells me bad news. They've worked on this ladder. These grandpas that can sit in the shade and don't have a care in the world. These grandpas that that have faith like giants and that have peace and joy. And you look at and you're like, you're a freak of nature. No, they've learned this ladder that says, if I can change my reaction, my emotional feelings to things, if I can change the way I act, I won't have to reap and harvest my mess. If God can keep me, the problem is... God can't change you without your permission. Quit praying for a super miraculous breaking of His own law. He gave us dominion. I wish He hadn't. I wish He had said, these are my creations and they're going to be subservient to me and they're going to do what I say, how I say it, when I say it. But He didn't. That's why your worship is so beautiful. You do it by choice. Your free will, the thing that gets you in trouble is what makes your worship so beautiful. Because you give it, it's not taken, it's not demanded, it's given. That's why your worship is so beautiful. But that free will is the big thing that gets us in trouble too. So, remember that your life is not what happens to you. Your life is defined by how you react to what happens to you. Now what do you have to talk about? Now how many counseling sessions are you going to have when you put it in your court? Who are you going to cry to? You're going to lose some relationships because you have relationships in your life that enable you. And you guys sit together. And and I'm not saying you guys. We sit together with certain people. Have you ever noticed you get with certain people and all of a sudden nothing good comes out of y'all's mouth? I've done that. I've been in. I'm like, dude, I walked in here in a good mood. But five minutes later, I've chewed everybody up. I've I've hated everything about my life, and I was cool when I walked in here. And there's certain people that will, your those weaknesses will seek each other out, and they foster growth. Got to be careful of that. And when you begin to grow, you need to step away from your power people that keep that stuff surged up. You need to take some time and, and make some allowances and put up some boundaries. Receive all this in love, man. I'm not saying it to be hateful or mean. I get so frustrated at Pat Dale, so I know you got to be frustrated at yourself. So that's part four. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. For more information on BWC, check us out on the web at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com. You might also choose to join us either for Sunday service or Wednesday evening Bible study.